Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Can You Ever Forgive Me? and The Miseducation of Cameron Post in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. That is correct. Two review episodes on today's episode. Uh, Both uh, 2018 films, both um, relatively strong reviews uh, in their own rights. And uh, I saw both of them relatively recently, and I'm rolling them together into today's episode. Uh, We'll start with Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, As it is currently in theaters, it is expanding uh, to more and more theaters across the country and is getting a lot of Oscar buzz surrounding it and uh, a lot of the aspects therein. So, Can You Ever Forgive Me is a 2018 film. It's directed by Marielle Heller, who has directed uh, The Diary of a Teenage Girl. Uh, That is her first feature, which I like. Almost slightly less than I like Can You Ever Forgive Me, but I like both films. Uh, It stars Melissa McCarthy, Richard E. Grant, Dolly Wells, Ben Falcone, Jane Curtin, among others. It is written by Nicole Holof Center and Jeff Witte. Witte. And uh, so, if if you don't know what the film's about... Uh, Melissa McCarthy plays Lee Israel, who is a uh, biographer, best-selling biographer, and she has kind of hit a point in her life where her agent and uh, really won't won't really go to bat for her anymore. She can't get any money. She can't get an advance on a new book. Uh, the what she's good at, which is you know getting into the heads and minds of of a of passed away celebrities uh, isn't earning her any money. She has had a book on the bestsellers list, but now people don't really want to read biographies anymore. And, uh, you know, that's a shame. But in her desperate hour of need, uh, while doing research at a library, I think, uh, she happens to find some authentic letters uh, written uh, by Fanny Bryce, I want to say, and they were just kind of sticking in a book, and so she takes them to a local bookstore and is able to sell them for a, a nominal fee. And then she sells the first one. At, at, at actually, she sells the first one. Two of them, le- one left. And as she's looking, she's working at her typewriter, she's looking at the second letter, and she realizes that her typewriter, same format, same font. And so she begins down this road of deceit and criminal activity as she begins to forge letters uh, using her ability to uh, get inside the minds of these deceased people to... Uh, capture their voice and uh, punch up the sort of uh, quality of these letters. And she goes about selling them for more and more money. 
And that's that's the premise. That's that's where the movie kind of leaps from. Along the way, uh, Dolly Wells plays uh, one of the owners of a bookstore that uh, Melissa McCarthy sells the letters to, um, as does Ben Falcone. Richard E. Grant is Jack Hawk, uh, Hawk, H-O-C-K, Jack Hawk, who becomes pretty much Lee Israel's only friend throughout the film. Uh, but he is in some state of homeless as well as uh, kind of um, he's he's kind of un, un, unsavory and and illicit in his own way, whether that be through drugs like cocaine or um, so on and so forth. So the the. <sighs> There's a lot of talk about Melissa McCarthy in this movie. Uh, this is her, you know, this isn't a pure drama. There's definitely a lot of elements of humor in this. But it is mostly, it is one of the more serious roles that, that McCarthy has ever taken on. And when you have a comedic actor, male or female, who takes on uh, a role that is pretty outside of what you're used to seeing them in, you know, if we got The Rock in, I don't know, like a a musical, but like him actually, not, uh, not Maui from Moana, or if we got The Rock in, um, I don't know, like a Western drama, you know, like a hard Western drama, I don't know, just something that's really out of place, you know, you, you're always kind of cautious, about uh, uh, supplanting someone and putting them in this unorthodox position. Now, uh, you know, Melissa McCarthy has obviously, you know, had her dramatic aspects to her performances in the past, and and I think comedy and drama can can go hand-in-hand in in a lot of ways, and there are plenty of comedic actors who have made the transition quite flawlessly and quite brilliantly. And so I, I, my impressions before seeing the film were, yeah, I bet she'll be good. I bet she'll be good in this, and I bet she'll be better than any other thing I've ever seen her in, because I'm really not a fan. I, I think she was fine in Bridesmaids, and uh, everything else is is meh uh, to awful. Uh, you know, just look at this year. You have Happy Time Murders, which was terrible, and she was pretty awful in it. Um, prior to Can You Ever Forgive Me, I would say that my favorite performance of hers was St. Vincent, uh, which she's a supporting character in the film, uh, but I really like her in that. It's a little more dramatic of a role for her, and uh, she does it very, very well. So I I had high hopes for her. Uh, You know, Richard E. Grant, as well, is getting a lot of talk about supporting actor for for this year in this film. And he was the one I had a, a lot more confidence in as far as uh, whether or not I would agree with that assessment. I I thought both of them would be very good, but I, I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't confident enough in McCarthy to think that she'd be good enough uh, that I would agree that she deserved uh, a nomination. Coming out of the film 
and or I guess step back during the film there are definitely moments where I could feel myself slipping into yeah but that's Melissa McCarthy she couldn't completely dissolve into the role for me there are definitely a lot of points where she can but there are moments where it doesn't completely transition and I think What's, what's unfortunate is a lot of those moments are when McCarthy and, and Richard E. Grant are kind of riffing, you know, insults at each other or, or you know, exchanging wordplay. Because, I don't know, those moments just put, take me out for her. And it's unfortunate because those are really well written uh, you know, all of those lines are, you know, ten times better than some of the crap she says in these other dumb movies that she's been in. But for some reason, I, I couldn't disassociate her from those other performances in that moment, which is frustrating. Uh, but I think over, overall, I was impressed with her performance. Um She's not going to make my top 10 list of be- of lead performances, but she was very good, and I hope that this can lead to to better performances and, and, and better roles and more work down the line that I'll enjoy as well. That said, I think she's in a really good position to get an Oscar nomination for this role, which will only improve her her possibility of getting uh, more work in that sense. On the other side, with Richard E. Grant, I loved his performance. He is uh, animated, he is over the top, he is, uh, you know, just, just very energetic, very big, very boisterous, and yet he still manages to be like a person. He's he's not someone who seems like a caricature or anything to that effect. You know, he's real. He's human, and you can see it in a lot of the the smaller moments that he has when uh, you know he's asked to look at look over McCarthy's or he's asked to Jack is looked asked to watch the Israel's apartment while she is gone for a few days. And she returns, and, and everything's kind of awful, and he's kind of just let it go to shit. You know, he is visibly, like, distraught. You know, he is trying to understand what went wrong, and he doesn't fully understand the, the ramifications that took place. And you can see on his face in some of these scenes that he's really, really human. He has these range of emotions and it's not all this bravado that he puts off you know in the first act of the film Uh, and and I I like that he really was quite quite fabulous in the film and uh, he definitely is in my current top 10 uh, for supporting performances he has made the list of nominations for right now Um, we will see if he can hold on to a position uh, come Time for the awards. Uh, And then outside of those two, like, that's pretty much it. You know, Dolly Wells gets a little bit of of meat to her character. And I liked her character quite a bit. I think... I I kind of wished we got one more scene toward the end of the film with her. But 
I kind of understand why they wouldn't want to go that direction. Instead, we get a scene between McCarthy and, uh, in a in a kind of a cameo performance, um, Anna Devere Smith, uh, who I really enjoyed, uh, kind of coming out of nowhere to uh, take, to kind of, uh, you know, be this voice of wisdom, and and cold hard truth for for Lee Israel's character. Beyond that, uh, I mentioned the writing was pretty strong. You know, I'm really a big fan of Nicole Holofcener, Center, and uh, this does not dissuade me from that whatsoever. Uh, Mariel Heller, her direction is very strong as well. You know, this is a movie that, under the surface, I think it's a very typical movie. It feels like a very Oscars movie. It feels like a movie that's going to have a point A, B, and C. We know what they're going to be. We know what's going to happen. You know, she's going to, like, you know the premise before you go into the movie, nine times out of ten. We know when that, we know that eventually that premise has to kick in. We know eventually it has to succeed, and then eventually it has to fail, and then there has to be some sort of resolution. Pretty much, you know, you know, across the board. And most of these Oscar movies like this that have these elements just kind of, I don't know, float their way to a Best Picture nomination half the time. And I think Muriel Heller does a fantastic job uh, coordinating the performances and the writing and and the film itself uh, such that it doesn't appear so rote and banal as these other movies. It does kind of rise above that a little bit. And I, I have to, you know, I give her a lot of credit for that. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, the basic plot is still like that and, and that, you know, that that banal movie is still beneath the surface, but it does embellish it enough to the point where, yeah, this is this is a good movie. This is a good movie. So I, I really like Can You Ever Forgive Me. It's not great. You know, it's not going to make my top 10 this year. Uh, it only has a slot from Richard E. Grant in my awards right this second. And... But but you know as the award seasons play as the award season plays out and and you know we start to get uh, critic awards and the Gold Globes and SAG and Oscars and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going to be upset to see this movie get nominations and wins here and there. I think there's really nothing bad about it, and I, I think that's the key. I think there's really nothing negative I can really say outside of the basic plot is pretty standard. And all of the other aspects are elevated by the people in those positions. The direction is elevated, the writing, the performances, all of that is elevated. So I had a lot of I had a good time with this. Um, it does it has some good strong scenes and uh, as I mentioned, it has a fabulous performance from Richard E. Grant as Jack Hawk. So, uh, yeah, I really like it. I gave it a 68, um, which is pretty good. Uh, not great, like I said, but uh, that puts it on par with uh, something like Hereditary, for what that's worth. 
So, you know, it's the top end of the good range, or well, near top end of the good range, technically. So that's, can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? Question mark. The second film I'm talking about today, second part of this review episode, is a film called The Miseducation of Cameron Post. This is also a 2018 film. This film is directed by Desiree Akavan, who has also directed um, Appropriate Behavior from 2014. This is her, uh, which she stars in, actually. And uh, Appropriate Behavior is meh. It's kind of meh. I wasn't a big fan. A lot of people like it. I, It's fine. I was really looking forward to The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Um, it stars Chloe Grace Moretz, John Gallagher Jr., Sasha Lane, Jennifer L., Marin Ireland, uh, da, 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 and others. And it, it takes place in the early 90s and follows teenager Cameron, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, who is caught um, having same-sex relations uh, and is sent to gay conversion conversion therapy to fix her. Uh, and pretty much the whole film takes place at the Gay Conversion Therapy Center, which is overseen by uh, Dr. Lydia Marsh, played by Jennifer L., and Reverend Rick, her brother, who is played by John Gallagher Jr. Um, while there, Chloe Grace Moretz meets Sasha Lane, who is another... Another wayward teen, as it were, uh, and a bunch of others. A lot, a lot of people uh, in the film. A lot, a lot of kids there. You know, a couple, uh, maybe two dozen, give or take. And we kind of just we kind of follow as Cameron tries to reconcile and understand what it means to have. Uh, homosexual attraction, uh, to be gay, and why that's a problem for other people, uh, and then subsequently, you know, what... She, she's really looking for a way to be herself, and, and to come be back to what she had, go back to the life she was in. And... When you're in a kind of situation like this where you're forced to undergo I don't know how to phrase this uh, she's being forced to fix a problem within her that she doesn't think is a problem or rather she <laughs> People are trying to fix something in her that isn't a problem, to be more specific, to be more accurate. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. And yet she is being told that not only is what she's done uh, with her friend, uh, her girlfriend, uh, sexually wrong and a sin but that it's something that can be fixed and it's something that you know is ruining 
not only her life, but her family's life and her friend's life. And it's, it's, you know, it's very cult-like. It's very cult-like. And it's a short film. It's about an hour and a half long. I watched it on, on the train over the weekend. And when... What's really frustrating, but I, I think, you know, in the context of the film, it, it kind of, it makes sense. And in the context of the characters, in the context that it's, you know, the early 90s, this is, you know, 25 years ago. To have those moments in this movie where you can feel the, the pressure and the tension and the weight of these Adults who run the center, who run the conversion therapy center, you know, over and over and over, you know, beating it into your head, you know, hey, look, there's something wrong with you. We got to fix it. And then you'll, you know, be accepted by God. And it makes sense that there are going to be weak moments where even the staunchest, you know, most resolved people will kind of doubt that they should be that way, you know, because I think when you're in a situation like this, all you want to do is get out of it. And you're willing to do that however you want. And if that means you got to pretend that you hate part of yourself that you actually like, you probably are going to do that, or at least consider doing it. And the longer you're there, you know, the more you're willing to own up to that. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, trying to torture confessions out of people. You go on long enough and they'll tell you whatever they want, whatever you want to hear, whether or not they know it, whether or not it's true, whether or not they believe what they're saying. And I wouldn't say that I, I, I wouldn't go. I would go so far as to try to phrase this right. I would go so far as to say that this conversion therapy center is akin to torture mental torture and what I love about this movie because I really really like this movie uh, is that it doesn't there are a lot of moments in the movie where I where I was kind of expecting uh, these sort of tropey scenes to, to, to play out where you know the you know, your main protagonist gets sent to a place where the thing that they do is not, you're not allowed to do it, and then they do it anyway, and then they get caught doing it, and it sets everything back, and that doesn't happen, you know, like, if there's a moment where our main, our main character, Cameron, you know, kind of goes against the teachings at this center, she doesn't get caught, which I found refreshing, because one, I, I always expected her to, because that's kind of how a lot of movies are. But two, it indicates from the director's perspective and from the writing that she's not doing anything wrong, so there's nothing to get caught doing. Which I love the translation of that. I think that's brilliant. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what ult you know even looking at the the characters in the movie that have 
converted or are leading the conversion therapy. You know, we get to scratch beneath their surfaces and see, you know, we get to learn why they ended up where they are. And one of the kids that's with there with Cameron, uh, you know, is excited partway through the movie to finally go, go home, you know, and he finds out that his dad doesn't want him to come home yet. You know, he was so excited to finally, you know, be back with his family and see his parents and friends again. And then it all got taken away. And the the, the instability of 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 you know warping someone's mind so much and expecting that this is going to play out in a positive with positive results is kind of ridiculous and and i think the film deals with these issues and deals with these these subjects in a very blunt and straightforward manner that I, I enjoyed and I respect it. I think on top of that, the performances are pretty good. Uh, I really like Chloe Grace Moretz in this movie. I thought she does a fantastic job. Uh, John Gallagher Jr. and Jennifer L. as the uh, as the two people who run the center are are you know both able to put enough. At least John John Gallagher Jr. is able to put enough on his character where he's not just this faceless. Uh, person who is forced, you know, he's not just one-dimensional, like, everything is bad, you know, he has aspects of his character that allow you to kind of see the great, the the deeper parts within him. Jennifer L., on the other hand, I don't think she goes, she has, she gives a performance that really shows that there's more going on to her, besides, you're all sinners and I gotta fix you. She felt very one-note. Sasha Lane, uh, who I really love in American Honey, is fine here. Uh, I didn't think she didn't quite live up to to the performance she gave in that film. And then uh, some of the other supporting characters. Um, uh, there's um, Cameron's roommate, played by Emily Skeggs. Emily Skeggs, I liked her. I really liked the arc for her character and how that shook out. I wish it would have gone a little further uh, in some aspects. But I, I really liked the direction they took her character. Uh, and I really like this movie. I recommend it. I don't know if it's in theaters really at all anymore. But if you get a chance to see it, I, I'm sure it'll be on like Amazon or something at some point. Uh, I highly recommend it. I think it's a great movie. And for that reason, I gave it an 85, which is currently in my top 10. And uh, beyond that, it's got Chloe Grace Moretz has a slot in lead performance right now. And let me see if I get the right names here, just to be sure. Also has a nomination in screenplay for Desiree Akavan and Cecilia 
Oh boy. Uh, Frugule. 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 F R U G I U E L E. Frugule. Desiree Akavan and Cecilia Frugule. I'm going with that. So, two slots right now for the miseducation of Cameron Post. And yeah, that's it. That is it. Uh, so, those are the episodes. That's the episode for today. Those are the reviews for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, and The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Both good movies. I recommend going out to ch- see both of them. You'll probably have a better, easier time finding Can You Ever Forgive Me at the moment. But if you can get a chance to see The Miseducation of Cameron Post, I highly recommend that as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And now the outro, courtesy of Meg Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find this podcast at circleoffilm.com or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. If you'd like to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can find him at circleoffilm or contact him through email at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash circleoffilm for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you again for listening and have a week. So long, farewell. I know she'll never leave me Even as she fades